Okay, so family service today. So welcome the kiddos. Um, you can clap for them, make them feel welcome. All right, so, all right, kids, so here's the deal. Normally, you get to be in the really fun place, and today, uh, you have to hear me just talk and talk and talk and talk. However, here's the thing. The things that I'm saying are going to be very important, and if you don't understand what I'm saying, it's okay because you have very smart parents, like the smartest in the world, so you just ask them later, and uh, they will fill you in, and if they don't know what I said, well, that's my fault. Uh, potentially, unless there's, if you see your parents sleeping, you got to give them a punch or something. Okay. All right. So, so parents, something, something interesting um, I've seen happen. So typically someone is going about their life and things are going well. God is not really on their mind very much. And then something happens. They have kids and they're holding these kids that they love so much in their arms, and they start thinking about life, and they start thinking about God, and they say, oh man, like, I don't know if God's important for me, but man, maybe I should give them the opportunity to meet God, I mean, maybe this is something that's important for them, and so what happens is you're like, I got to find a church for them, and so you find a church, and then you actually begin to meet God and discover him in a way that you had not done before, or maybe for the first time you're discovering him. Now, part of the reason that you maybe came here is because you're thinking, man, I, I want to find a church that's going to help my child find God, and that's good. I mean, we'll help them do that. But ultimately, it's up to you to help them find God, and it's our job as a church to equip you to help them find God, to discover the God who, who we could very, very well call a hero who's come for us in this grand epic story that you've got to tell your kids that we've been running from God, and he's come and he's chased us down. And he's made us his own uh, by this incredible act through the cross and the resurrection. And that story is worth telling your kids over and over and over again. And today, what we're talking about is you becoming who you're made to become. Helping your kids become who they're made to become. Because here's the deal. The thing that your kids need most from you is for you to become more of who you're actually made to become. Because until that happens, you're going to struggle to help them become more of who they're made to become. So your, your relationship with God is incredibly important to their relationship with God. And so today, we're talking, and, and by the way, so kids, um, look at your parents. They're, they're bigger than you. Do you know how that happened? They got hungry. And when they got hungry, they ate. And they kept doing this over and over and over again consistently every day. And by doing that, they grew. Today, we're talking about becoming who you're made to become. And the way that that happens is consistently every single day hungering to become who you're made to become. And as you hunger more and more and more, you will become who you're made to become and you will grow into who you're made to become. So our verse today is from Matthew 5, chapter, verse 6. Chapter 5, verse 6, it says this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, here's what's going on here. Jesus has come, and he's getting this grand following. Like, everybody's following him all around. And so he goes to this mountain, he goes to the top of the mountain, and he begins to teach people what life is like from the world where he is from. 
And he begins to show them what life is like. And he's saying, here's how you live. And if you live this way, the world where I am from can come and start inhabiting this very world that we are in. And, I mean, it's very appropriate for you to think of Jesus as this grand epic hero. I mean, the hero of all heroes. Who's come from another world and he's delivering this grand sermon. And so here's what he does. He goes up on the mountain, he starts giving the sermon, and the very first things that he begins to say, the, worst, the first things that are coming out of his mouth, have been called by Christian scholars, that's really smart people, to be the most profound words that have ever been spoken. To be the most important words that have ever been spoken. And that's what we're looking at today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they're going to be satisfied. And so then we have to ask this question. What is righteousness? And what does it actually mean? Because here, here's what I've found, is that people typically have a, a, a very pitiful understanding of what righteousness is. And so what is it? Because most people think, oh, righteousness is just about being good. No, it's so much more than that. And that's just such a, that's a sliver of what it means to be righteous. So this is a word that's absolutely packed with meaning. And so we say, okay, so what is a righteous person? Well, so this word righteous, sometimes the Bible will speak about God's righteousness. And sometimes it talks about humanity's righteousness. Good, bad, whatever it is, you got good, right, you're a righteous person, you're not a righteous person. So when it talks about God's righteousness, it's primarily speaking about God's saving acts towards us. Like God is doing the work, he's faithful, he's changing us, and he's giving us the world that we long for. But, when it's, can you guys hear me okay? Okay. The second part, where we think about our righteousness, it means a lot. So, we're going to divide it up into three kind of parts of what this word means. Now, here's where people always go wrong. So, people typically will say, okay, for me to be righteous, that means I need to be good. So, if I'm good, then God will accept me and love me. So, I'm going to be good, I'm going to be righteous, so that God will accept me and love me, and you couldn't have it more wrong. Because how it works is that Christianity, the, the, the concept of Christianity is that by faith, you have God's love and his, his acceptance, and it will not go away. And because you have his love and his acceptance, you now long to become who you're made to become. And everybody flips the order, and if you flip the order, you're going to get all messed up, and you're never going to become who you're made to become. And we all want to become this version of ourselves that we're made to become, that God has a design for us, but we're going to continue to not get there until we realize righteousness is based off of not us, but a gift that God is giving us, and then God gives us this gift of grace, and then we are changed to become more and more of who we're made to become. So, when we think of the righteous person, you've got to think about it three ways. So, you, ha you get this gift because of your faith, of God's love and his acceptance. So, here's the three things that have happened to you. You have been declared righteous, first. Second, you are becoming righteous. Third, you will one day be fully righteous. Okay, do you get that? But it's all by faith, and it has to be clear that this is by faith. Declared righteous, becoming righteous, and one day will be righteous. So here's the, here's, let me simplify it. Picture a triangle with the three points. Each point has a part of your righteousness, and here are the three points. You have a new record, you have a new heart, and you have a new world that is coming to you. 
a new record, a new heart, and a new world that is coming to you. So I, I, want, I want to take each one of these as we go, um, but you got to know this. This first part, our new, well, the new heart. That's primarily what Jesus is talking about here. In the Gospel of Matthew, when you see the word righteous, so, so if you're reading through the Gospel of Matthew and you see the word righteousness, it's primarily speaking about your new heart. If you read other parts, sometimes it's talking about your declared righteousness. But here, think new heart, new heart, new heart. Okay, so I want to take each one of these one by one. So, the triangle, the first part, you're declared righteous or you have this new record. We tend to think that, man, if I could just get God to love me, then everything's going to be good with my life. And here's what ends up happening. You start modifying your behavior to think he loves you more, and you're completely missing everything that he's doing. Because the first part of it all is you becoming who you're made to become because first you have been declared perfect in the eyes of God. So one by one, the first thing is you have a new record. So when I was in middle school, I used to trade baseball cards. Now, in middle school, if you're trading baseball cards, you know, you, you, there's something you have to know, that you don't want the cards to get bent. You don't want them to get wrinkly. And so if you've got a really good card, you put it in a case so it stays in good condition. Now, for the person who becomes a Christian, here's what they've realized. There's been a great trade that has happened. And it feels like this. So let's say you have the absolute worst baseball player in the history of baseball, and you have this card. He's got his picture on there, and he's smiling, but, you know, like, oh, you know, he looks like a fool because he's the worst baseball player ever. And so oh, I got this card, and it's all wrinkly, and it just looks bad, and it smells, and it's faded. And then somebody walks in the room, and they've got the greatest, the card of the greatest baseball player that there has ever been. And it's in this beautiful case, Let's say it's Babe Ruth, and there's a signature on it, and it's Babe Ruth's signature. Now, I don't know if you know what this means, but this is a really big deal. And so this guy walks up to you, if you're making these trades, and he says, I want to trade you this Babe Ruth card for this card. You say, whoa, this is the most amazing baseball card trade there's ever been in history. And that's what the Christian feels about their record. Because the Christian has realized that they have this tainted record, they have this crumbly up record. They have this, this sinful life that they have lived and they, like they feel there are depths, there are parts inside of them where they feel like, man, I feel like the worst person in the history of the world because of the things that I've done in my life and I can't seem to change. And then all of a sudden Jesus walks in the room and he walks in with this perfect record, this flawless record. He's done nothing wrong. And he says, I want to trade my record for yours. And you say, well, why in the world would you want to do that? And he, would say, and he says, because it's the only way. Because I love you, and I want you, and I will never get you until your record has made, been made perfect. So I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to trade my record for your record. And the Christian realizes this is the most amazing gift that is, anyone has ever given me. and wants to tell the world about what's been given to them because they realize, I didn't deserve this. It's way better than this baseball card trade. I mean, this is the, this is the most epic thing that has ever happened in the history of the world, and you're enjoying all of it. Then he says, now that you have been made perfect in your record, watch what I'm going to do to you. Every single day, 
I'm going to change you more and more into who you're made to become. You have this perfect record, and you are not even close to living into it, but I'm going to help you live into it every single day. And this is about your new heart. This is about having new desires. This is about him changing you to become who you're made to become. And he says, nothing can stop me from helping you become the real version of you. And he says, I'm so committed to doing this that I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm laying down the most expensive thing that I have, the thing of most worth that I have, and it's my life. And I'm going to lay it down so that I can win you over, so that I can have you, and so that I can help you become who you're made to become. So that's the second part. The third part is you're given this whole new world. This is the place where all is right. You will never be able to sin again. Even if you tried, you couldn't do it, but you wouldn't try because that'd be crazy to do because you're made perfectly right in this place. uh, St. Augustine says it like this. It's a bold claim, so here you go. Before you become a Christian, he says, all you can do is sin. It's all you do. Once you become a, a Christian, you sin and you don't sin. He says, once you're in paradise with God, you will never be able to sin again. And that's what we long for. I mean, this is, this is this new world that we long for. There's a craving inside of all of us. Now, now let's focus in on this part where it says we have this new heart. This is the part where we're becoming who we're made to become. And it's really, it's like a, this blessed struggle. So it says the Christian will hunger and thirst after righteousness. I mean, hungering. Like there's a deep hunger. Until, they're made to become who they're, until they become who they're made to become. Now, if you're a Christian, you're going to realize something, that you live in a really weird time. It feels very strange, because you have been declared perfect by God. But you're looking at the way that you're living, and you're like, man, I don't, I'm not even coming close to what this gift is that I've been given. And so you're hungering and you're thirsting. And so here's what this means. I mean, Jesus is very specific. He chose hunger and thirst on purpose, and here's what it means. You're a Christian, but you're going to keep sinning. And some of you are like, oh, man, I didn't know that that was true. Like, I always, I mean, I feel like that about me, but that's such a relief to hear, like, that I'm going to keep sinning because now I don't feel so weird. But it feels strange because you want to live, you have these new desires to not sin anymore, but you keep doing it and you keep sinning, and you hate that you do it, but at the same time, you want to be changed. But you just keep sinning, and you want to sin. So here's what, to hunger and thirst means you are desiring to stop desiring sin. Because the Christian still likes to sin. The Christian still loves to sin. There's something inside of the Christian that still like, likes to do these, the things that they know they shouldn't do. But then there's something else inside of the Christian that hates that they keep sinning and keep doing the thing that they know they shouldn't be doing. It's like you sin, but you hate it, but you can't help but doing it. And you hate that you can't help but doing it. And then sometimes in your life you get some clarity. And you're like, oh, man, I really love God. And you turn right away from your sin and you go live exactly the way he wants you to live. And then the next day you're like, oh, what happened? And it's be, you desire God, but you desire to sin. And it's very weird. It's very hard to understand. But Jesus chose those words very intentionally. It hurts 
when you're hungry and thirsty. I mean, if you've talked to someone who's really been, I mean, dying of hunger, dying of thirst, it's painful. So if you, if you see a baby crying because they're hungry, I mean, they're really crying. So here's the question. Are you weeping over your sins? Literally, figuratively, whatever. I mean, when you sin, does it bother you to your core? Because that's the sign of a Christian. Though they still like sinning, at the same time, there's a desire for them to give it all up. Or babies, when they're hungry, they become very hangry. I know some of you have experienced that because I've seen it happen to you. You know what hangry is, right? Okay. So babies get angry, hungry. And the same thing happens to us because we're longing. I mean, we're hungry to become who we're made to become. And so when we're not becoming who we're made to become, we get angry at ourselves. I mean, it's like we're shaking our fist at ourselves. Like we're, we're saying, how could you have done what you've done? And we're speaking to ourselves. We're speaking to our soul. Like, who are you? Why would you do what you have just done? You're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. the same time you're going to God and you're realizing I'm completely forgiven it's very strange because you have this burden but at the same time you have this peace because you know that you've been fully forgiven now I want to read to you from Psalm 119 so the Psalms are songs and Psalm 119 is the longest song that David writes and it's beautiful because he talks about the law of God and how the law of God is a delight to him now, a lot of times we think about the law of God and we think, man, it doesn't seem delightful to me because it's just constantly reminding me, screaming at me that I'm not who I should be. So we're like, oh, the law of God is messing me up, but he loves it. Why does he love it so much? Because he knows the grace of God. And so he can look at the law of God and it doesn't condemn him, but it reminds him of how much he's been forgiven and he sees the law. And here's the, re the main reason he loves the law of God, because it teaches him how to become who he's made to become. It's right there. What do you do next? Here. Do this. Now, it's so important, though, that you understand forgiveness in the midst of that, because if you don't, then the law of God is going to crush you. All right, so let me read it to you. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. Don't miss this, guys. It's so important. My tongue will sing of your word. For all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is in my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Okay, so David feels like an absolute lost sheep. Like he's lost. He needs help. And so he reads God's law, and he says, God, I can't do this without you, so come and help me. And that's the key to all this. So if you're going to become who you're made to become, you have to go to God, and you have to ask him for the help. All right, kids, look at your, look at your parents again. Feel their muscles. Pretty good, pretty impressive, huh? And this has happened because they've been hungry, and they've eaten. Now, again, the more time you spend hungering and thirsting to become who you're made to become consistently every day, the more you will become that if you are going to God, if you are seeking his help in doing it. Now, here's the thing. When you grow bigger, 
You need more food to stay that big. And if you want to even get bigger, you actually need more food than that. So here's what that means. The bigger you are, the hungrier that you start getting. And so this is, here's my point. The Christian, at the same time, the mature Christian, has grown tons, but they're hungrier and thirstier than they've ever been. Over and over and over again. Hungering, finding a bit of satisfaction, but still knowing that there's a, there's, a, there's another satisfaction that you're meant to have. And I'm going to tell you right now, that hunger is going to drive you absolutely crazy. Unless you keep these three points in your constant vision. Because you're going to wrestle with your sin and you're going to feel disgusting about yourself. It's going to happen. You know, I know that self-help books, I know that counselors say, oh no, you've got to like, think well about yourself. It's really hard to think well about yourself when you see the failure that you have just done. You need something better than that. You need to find the forgiveness that comes in Christ. And so when you see that your new record has been completely given to you, do you know what that does? As you're pursuing you becoming who you're made to become, you're constantly seeing the life that you're living, and it makes you just weary. It makes you so frustrated with yourself. It makes you angry at yourself because you're seeing the things that you're doing and you hate that you're doing them. So you need to know that you've been forgiven. And if you lose sight of that, it's going to destroy you because there's guilt in your sin and there's shame in your sin. But forgiveness in Christ frees you from all of that. So you've got to remember that he went in your place and he died in your place. And here's the other thing. Let's think about happiness real quick because this word, blessed are, when it says blessed are those who hunger and thirst, the word blessed means inner happiness or this inner spiritual health. And so that means that the person who is becoming righteous is happy. So I want to tell you this. If you chase happiness, you will not find it. But if you chase after righteousness, you will find yourself becoming happier and happier and happier. And here's, here's why. Because here's what's happened to you. You have found this new record that's been given to you, like this kid with the baseball card, and the kid's got to be so happy about what's just happened. You've got to be, I mean, come on, you have no idea the gift that you've been given. You just kind of like turn the, like just turn to what God's given you. Like you're like, ah, I'm forgiven. I guess that's cool. You have been given the perfect record of Christ. You should be way more ecstatic than this kid with the baseball card. And when you see that, it fills you with all kinds of happiness. And then it fills you with the desire and the strength and the joy to become who God has made you to be. And you see that Christ has already been punished in your place. But also, you've got to remember that you are not yet who you're made to become. And that's not going to happen until you are in a world that you long for. And so when you're beating yourself up, just chill out. Because God's going to do it. And it requires him doing it. So here's what happens. If you're a Christian, you sin, but it's not the real you sinning. The real you is the one who doesn't sin. I mean, the Bible talks about this. So that's your old self that's sinning. The problem is your old self is dead, but it's not fully dead. I mean, there's this process that's happening where you're becoming more and more alive in Christ. I mean, you have this new heart, but your new heart is becoming more and more and more alive every day. So it starts this process. And you continue to groan. You continue to be hungry to become who you're made to become until one day where you find the complete satisfaction of walking in to paradise. But until that day, because what do you do right now? Until that day, you remember that on the cross... Jesus has dealt with every sin of yours. It's been dealt with. No guilt, no shame. You are free. 
It has no hold of you anymore. And then when you are trying to become who you're made to become, and it's not working, you've got to remember the resurrection. Because Christ rose from the dead, and by rising from the dead, here's what's happened. He's conquered death, and he's giving new life in you. And that new life in you longs to become who you're made to become. And so you've got to look at the power of the resurrection. You've got to see that he's done this, and you've got to go to him. And when you go to him, he gives you strength every single day to take a step closer to who you're made to become. And when you hunger and when you thirst along the way, you have to remember that one day, because of what he's done, you will walk into the shores of heaven and you will never sin again and you will be exactly who you knew all along you were meant to be. So go to Christ and he will make you that. Father, we pray now that we would understand these words and God, where we do not understand the depths of the righteous gift that's been given to us, I pray now that you would open our eyes, open our ears to hear and to see the depth and the riches and the knowledge of you and the love that you have given through the cross and the resurrection. God, I pray that you would not take our eyes off sight of you. You would help us to to keep our eyes forever fixed on you. And God, don't let us go. And when we run, when we run, God, come and chase us down and grip us. And don't let us go. As much as we fight, God, I pray that you wouldn't let us go. God, let us rest in you. Let us breathe, knowing that we're forgiven. Let us take the step that we need to take today to become more of who you made us to become. We pray all this in Jesus' name.